This sermon was recorded online during our season of Shelter in Place in Mountain View, California. Recently, I've been working my way through a book called How the Irish Saved Civilization by Thomas Cahill. Not sure if many of you are familiar with it, but the thesis of the book is this, that with the fall of the Roman Empire, with all its literacy, all its culture, uh, all its manuscripts, both Greek, Roman, as well as the Christian documents, uh, it, the, with the advent of the Dark Ages, the called because those things were thought to be lost, uh, the fact is that they were spread out throughout parts of Europe, including Ireland. And in Ireland, some very industrious monks took great care and pain to make sure that these aspects of culture were faithfully copied, faithfully transcribed, and recorded. And so the, the conclusion is that without this, the great heritage, as Cahill calls it, of Western civilization, from the classics to Jewish and Christian works, would have been utterly lost. And so when you think about that in terms of epiphany, epiphany is Jesus coming and the, the manifestation of God in the person of Jesus to come to the, to the world, to the Gentiles. And, if, and, and in a sense, this is a celebration of the fact that, or recognition of the fact that the Gentiles who came into the kingdom through the Lord's reaching out to all nations have in his own way preserved uh, the Christian heritage, not only preserved it, but furthered it. When Jerusalem was overrun and no longer was the hub of the faith, where did it go? It went to places in Western Europe. So Epiphany is in a sense a celebration. We're here because of some Irish monks. We are here right now because the Lord's taken his gospel to us who are not necessarily Jewish by background. I'm assuming that's for most of us in this case. And so we are personally in touch and personally invested in what epiphany signifies today. Um, we'll look at that as, as we go forward. And when we look at these texts, which some, they may be familiar to you. This is a part of the liturgical calendar that begins in January. And so each January, a text of, of something like this, the prophecy as well as the gospel account of particularly Jesus' baptism is what gets read out. But I don't want this just to be sort of a theological overview of the significance of baptism, though we will touch on it. In fact, with all that's gone on in this past week, with the storming of our capital, with the continued fallout from that, with the indefinite lockdowns that we're experiencing, with the economic uncertainties that those bring, you know, there's there's just a kind of an additional heaviness that I've sensed uh, in speaking with some of you that I've experienced personally. You know, there's the adage that it's darkest before the dawn. Well, things seem to be a bit darker, which means the dawn might be a bit closer. We're not sure. But my prayer and my hope is that as we look at, at these texts that speak to the coming of Christ to the nations, to the whole world, that we would be encouraged. And specifically, there are three encouragements that I have that God has just put on my heart to share in our time together. So let's look at, let's look at the gospel reading that Cindy just read. It's Mark's account of Jesus' baptism, and it's the shortest account of it. And in verse 9, it says, At that time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. The next verse says, Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open. 
and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And before we even get to the voice of his heavenly Father, just that visual of heaven being torn open is something to focus our time and attention on right now. Because it's such a dramatic uh, rendering of what actually is going on. It's not, if you think, if you've ever seen, you know, this portrayed in, in Christian films or in movies, there's, you know, kind of everybody looks up at the sunlight and you can't see anything. And then out of that, the dove sort of floats down and, and that's, that's Jesus's baptism. But that, to say it nicely, is not doing justice to what the text is telling us. Heaven is, is torn open there and 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 the you know the spirit starts to descend upon the lord but that that whole act of, of tearing open is something in in scripture that means that god is doing something significant it is a, an attention getter and the only other time that mark uses that same word is when the curtain that guards the holy of holies is torn in two at jesus's death when he has died and so it is this dramatic rendering of what God is up to. And it is a revealing, if you will, of the heavenlies and the fact that there is more to this world than we can see. There's more going on than we can ever hope to know. And I find that greatly encouraging with all the things that are going on around us. It's easy to to kind of lose sight of the fact that God is very much at work in ways that we don't necessarily know, we can't understand, way beyond our comprehension. And so it takes a scene like this where heavens are opened up and God reveals, in this case, him, his anointing on Jesus, his son. This is why the, the, uh, the baptism is described, because the Lord is, is saying, this is a commissioning, this is anointing, this is saying that this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. But I just want us to, to be encouraged by that fact that there's so much more going on than we can ever know. I, you know, that's true for all of our lives. I, I, and, and one of my prayers for us this week and next week is that we would begin to open our eyes to see the Lord more and more at work, more and more in places that maybe we didn't recognize him before. Things going on at work, so-called coincidences where maybe somebody you've been praying for on a certain thing, you're starting to hear answers about that. Or maybe something going on with your extended family, some particular healing that they need or grace that you've been praying about. You're getting some encouragement there. Or you're seeing God at work in some way, shape, or form. The times that we're in the middle of can drown out that expectation of God working, can drown out our anticipation that he knows the things that we need far more than we do, far earlier than we do. And he's already got a plan for how to get there. So I, I just pray that that would be encouraging. You know a little bit about the Holy Trinity story when I was thinking about how this is applicable just to us here. You know, what, seven years ago, I think now? Uh, seven years ago, sorry, 2017. Uh, when we were thinking, all right, Lord, what's next for us? And we just went to uh, a monastery to pray and to discern. And we meet a couple priests from C4SO and we get to talking with them. And that leads to connecting with some of the churches in the diocese here, which leads to connections with people like Key and the Tomlins and, you know, some of you guys, Nick in short order after that. And so we had no idea that that was what God's plan was. Uh, he obviously ordained this, but we were just trying to be faithful, trying to be listening, trying to be before him, trying to drown out the noise of the past. And then God unfolds it. 
And God is still unfolding things in each of our lives and in each of our relationships. So heaven, uh, I don't know if it's being torn open quite that dramatically in each of our lives, but God is very much at work. The baptism itself, then the spirit descends as a dove. The voice from heaven comes out and says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And you might wonder, well, why, why is Jesus being baptized in the first place? What is that about? And this is really the second encouragement that as we think about the baptism of the Lord, um, it's actually better explained in, in Matthew, which is because it's more embellished. In Matthew, there's the dialogue between Jesus and John. John says, I have need to be baptized by you. But Jesus says to him, no, let it be so, for in this is righteousness fulfilled. The idea that as as someone who's both fully divine and fully human, Jesus goes through the same things that we have to go through. Jesus is called to do the same things that he will call us to do. And so baptism is a sense, in, in his case, an affirmation of his humanity and a modeling of, of what we're called to do. And so its meaning is, is both that and as well as the anointing that Jesus has to go and be about the mission that his heavenly fathers, that mission of salvation, that mission of, of Isaiah calls it bringing justice, bring, putting the world to right, says N.T. Wright. It is a sense of, of taking everything that is out of place and disjointed, starting with our own relationship with God and, and providing a way back if we would take it. And that way back, when we start on that path, we, we do that in a twofold process. And this is what baptism, why it's so significant and why the Lord gives it to us as a sacrament. Because baptism represents the fact that we have responded to that offer. Baptism represents the fact that we are turned away from the things of this world, our own original ideas of how the world's supposed to work, uh, our embracing of the world's priorities, our use of the way the world works and its weapons, if you will. All those things we now reject to the extent that they're very much in contrast with the way that God has purposed things to work, with his command to love, with his command to give, with his command to sacrifice, this, these upside-down values. So we, we, we repent of the way we were and the way we used to live, and we turn around and we move in the direction of the Lord by his help. And that baptism is the washing that confirms that. It is washing of the water that cleanses us. But in that process, then Jesus himself takes the Holy Spirit and anoints us with that. It is the sealing of, of our relationship with the Lord. And the Acts reading that we heard is, is are the disciples, the apostles, seeing that God has already anticipated his, his baptizing, bringing the Gentiles into the fold. His, and so if you know the story, this is Cornelius, the Roman soldier, the centurion, who is a devout man as far as he knows how to be devout, very much within the Jewish framework. But the Lord sends an angel to him, once again, tearing heaven open and sending someone down to say that his prayers have come up as a memorial to God. And that now salvation belongs to the Gentiles as well as the Jews. It is a significant change in the expectation of the average Jew at that time, that God would be expanding his work of salvation, that the Messiah didn't come just for the nation of Israel, but for the whole world. 
And so in baptism, we, we acknowledge that and we remember that. And we acknowledge that we have been baptized into one body. Paul describes it this way. We've all been baptized by one spirit as, so as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free. And we were all given that one spirit to drink. And so baptism, with all that, you know, that's going on and, and the polarization in our world and the rancor and, and things that are getting, you know, things that we once thought were solid and were sure and were foundational, those don't appear as solid or sure as foundational. And yet the Lord very much is that in our life. And the Lord has formed us as one body through the sacrament of baptism. It means that we don't belong primarily to this world, and it means we do primarily belong to one another. It means that this idea of being a light to the Gentiles isn't something that Jesus does all by himself, but he very much does it through us and through this church. And we don't have all the gifts and graces that we need to do it, but we have sufficient ones to be his light to those to the people that have yet to know him around us, whether family or colleagues or neighbors. We have the light to be able to um, have a kingdom perspective on all that's going on around us. We have the, the baptism, the spirit in us that will protect us from giving way into the way of the world, which can be at times quite, quite pressureful. It can, there can be a lot. There can be kind of a steady drumbeat, whether that's from a particular something inside of us that still needs to be resolved or particular external pressure. Sometimes there's just so much noise that we have to remember, oh, I belong to the Lord. I don't have to hear all this noise. Like if you've ever been in a, a concert or someplace where a lot of loud music's playing, and it's, it's okay for a while, but eventually you got to get out and you think, oh, how nice is that silence? how nice it is to remember our baptism, to remember to whom we belong, and to remember the foundation that that brings and the strength that that brings and the connection with the Holy Spirit that that signifies. The title of the sermon is Remember Your Baptism. That's actually something that the priest says when he takes the aspergillum, which is a stick with a bit of a a receptacle on the end, and he fills it with the holy water. After a, a person has been baptized, then the priest will dip that into the holy water, and he'll walk down the aisle of the church, and on either side, he'll sprinkle the members of the congregation, the fellow members of the body, and he'll say, remember your baptism. And it's such a powerful moment. And in these times where we're more aware of uncertainties and things that may be shaking our world, remember your baptism. Is, is just a powerful way to recall whose we are and to whom we belong. So that's the second encouragement. The third one is, I find, in the way Jesus goes about his commission. In Isaiah 42, we're told, um, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out, or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. What's interesting to me about this is that Jesus is, you know, he gets this divine commission, and he is revealed as, as the Son of God by the voice of his Father. And he doesn't go out 
in the normal expectation of the Messiah. He's not gathering around him an army. He's not, you know, speaking uh, big, bold things about how he's going to conquer the Romans or take over or any of that. But he is coming out in a way that is a posture of, of humility. He comes out in a way that says he will not shout or cry out. He won't raise his voice in the streets. He's walking in humility. And it's all the more interesting because Matthew calls this out. He actually cites what I just read in the 12th chapter of his gospel. When Jesus has been, he's just healed the man with the shriveled hand. And the Pharisees say, okay, this guy has got to go. And they go out and they plot how to get rid of him, how to kill him. And Jesus withdraws. It says he withdraws from that area where he was performing miracles. As he withdraws, he's still performing miracles. But he's, as he's doing so, he's telling people, don't tell everybody that who's getting, you know, if you're getting healed, please don't mention this. Keep this to yourself. So he's not coming with great clouds, coming on clouds with power. That will come later. He's not trying to be uh, really belligerent about it. He is coming. He's not shouting. The kingdom of heaven comes in places and times we don't, that it's hard to see. It comes with a place of humility. Now, he's not shirking from telling the truth. He is still speaking truth. He's still advancing the kingdom through his healing. And so as we adapt that to us and we think, what's the posture of humility for us and for our, our situation? How do we engage with what's going on around us from a posture of humility? I think that's really the question. And the encouragement is that to do so is not to give up your power, but to do so is actually to, to put yourself underneath the power of the Lord and un, underneath the plan that he has for that particular situation, whatever that would be. We, we say, or we should be saying along with Paul, the apostle, when he writes in 2 Corinthians, for we live in this world, but we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have, uh, the weapons we have have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. I think in, there's a temptation in this time and, and era uh, to want to take up the weapons of this world, to want to take up power uh, that the world calls, use power and authority to achieve temporal ends. The world's way is to coerce through uh, behavior, through power and authority. But God's way is more to change hearts through love and example. His way and the way of the Lord is the way of example and the way of sacrifice. These are the things that truly bring lasting change. And this is the call that we have, the call that we accepted by becoming part of his body. This is part of what it means to be baptized. And so far from being a place of weakness, a posture of humility is a place of great strength because it allows the Lord to work because we're aligning our ways with his ways. There is a time to speak truth. There is a time to speak it in love. There is a time to stand up for those things. But we do it in the way that Christ taught us and we do it with his example. We do it, as James would say, being quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger because the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. So let us be careful. Let us guard our hearts in the way that we, we navigate these challenging times. We now navigate the challenge of our soul. Take practical steps. I don't know about you, but sometimes when, you, when I look at media, 
um, I find myself, I, I'm, I'm kind of like, it's almost like watching a game. And when my team is ahead, I'm happy. And when my team seems to have a setback, I'm not happy. It's like, but the things going on around us aren't like that. But so much of our media is designed to provoke that very response. Um, we can find ourselves, if we're not careful, drawn into such things. We can find ourselves, if we're not wise and, and rooted in scripture and rooted in our baptism. We can find ourselves being potentially feeling overwhelmed or wondering really what the future will have. We don't know what the future has, but we do know that we follow a Lord who has that already figured out. He hasn't abandoned this world and the heavenlies are very much uh, alive with his activity that is still on his mission to save this world. And so just to conclude, you know, God came into the world in the person of the Lord because at that time we needed a Savior and we still need Him. We respond out of that place. He is still tearing heaven open and coming down in so many ways. I pray that our eyes would be open in these weeks ahead to know that. I pray that we would be rooted and grounded in our baptism and that we would walk in a posture of humility just as our Lord walked, that we would have from that humility, a place of courage when it's time to be courageous, that we would find our, the strength that we need to resist the enemy's provocations, to think ill of this person or, or have anything other than the prayer uh, on our hearts for those that come against us. There may be a lot in this, maybe, but I pray that the Spirit would be leading each of us just as we reflect on it and as we say, Lord, would you show us your way? Would you help me, Lord? this week to remember my baptism. Amen. Thanks for being with us online in the sermon podcast. To find out more about Holy Trinity Silicon Valley, head to www.holytrinitysv.org.